Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. In Daniel chapter 9, we find the aged prophet yearning for the revival of God's work in the land of Israel. Daniel had been a captive of Babylon for almost 70 years and was about to go the way of all the earth, but his heart longed for the homeland of his childhood. He hadn't seen Israel for since he was 16 or 17 years old, and now he's in his mid-80s, and but he still longed for the rebuilding of the desolate city of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the ruined temple. His eager heart for the fulfillment of God's promise led him to an intense study of Scripture. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Well, now the time of restoration of Israelites back to their land was fast drawing near. But as yet, Cyrus, the king of Persia, had given no indication that he was about to treat the Israelites any different from any other nation under his control. This was of grave concern to Daniel. Would Yahweh be true to his promise that he gave to the prophets long ago or not? And like any true believer of God in any age, Daniel took refuge in prayer. And friends, that's always the best solution to questions we have about God's word and about questions about timing and questions about his promises. Take it to the Lord in prayer and wait on him for an answer. That's what Daniel did. Many of God's promises are conditional. He's ordained that prayer is one of the means of obtaining his divine answer. The very very fact that we believe that God's promises are yes and amen and that we believe blessings will come should drive us to pray. Daniel prayed and emptied his heart out to God. He confessed his sins and the sins of his people. And you remember from from, uh, earlier in the chapter that Daniel confessed that as a people, the Israelites had been rebellious. They had committed grave transgressions. And like all true intercessors, Daniel identified himself with the sins of the people. And he cried out, oh God, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted foolishly. As Daniel prayed... The angel Gabriel was dispatched from heaven with an answer to Daniel's prayer. It was not the answer that Daniel was expecting because not only did God reveal Israel's immediate future and their return to the land, but Gabriel also revealed Israel's distant future of perilous times ahead. In the last session together, In Daniel chapter 9, we discover from Gabriel that there is 77s described, 77s. That 7s, we know from context, refers to years. So it's 77s times years, which actually equals 490 years. But God, in his divine brilliance, had it divided up into three time periods for us. The first time period 
was a period of seven sevens. It's found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. That is 49 years long. But in Daniel 9, 25, this is what it says. From the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, will be seven years and seven sevens and 62 sevens. That decree to rebuild the city was given during the reign of Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2. Although Ezra, in the book of Ezra, we actually discover that there are four possibilities, but this one seems to be the most likely for the time kind of periods that we have. And Nehemiah chapter 2, and it was the starting point of the divine time clock. That's the first seven, the seven sevens, 49 years. But the second period of sevens was longer. It was 62 sevens, 434 years long, which flowed directly on from the 49 years, the seven sevens, and there's no gap between them. After those 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. That's in chapter 9, verse 26. Well, we know who the anointed one was. The anointed one was the Lord Jesus Christ. And calculating the 69 sevens, because you add the seven sevens to the 62 sevens, you get 69 sevens, a total of 483 years from the decree of Artaxerxes. To, and it takes you right up to the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ just a few days before the Messiah, the Prince, was crucified for the sins of the world. But we see also a, a third division of one seven, a, a period of seven years that makes up the 70th seven, which I believe is still yet to come. And I want to show you from today from the scriptures why I think that is still in the future. That would give us a total of 490 years. In verse 27, 927, it says, He will make a firm covenant with the many for one seven, but in the middle of the seven, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. For Daniel, however, this announcement was just the most amazing announcement of the first coming of Messiah Prince. Of course, to us, to us today, we look back in history and we, we know the Lord Jesus Christ has come. For Daniel, this was something entirely new. We look at this passage of scripture and often all we focus on is that last 70th seven. When for Daniel, this would have been the most exciting news. The Lord Jesus Christ was going to come as savior of the world. So now we're going to read Daniel chapter 9 verses 21 through 27. While I was still praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, reached me in my extreme weariness, about the time of the evening offering. He gave me this explanation, Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petition, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. 
from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler, will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It'll be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. After those sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one seven, but in the middle of the seven he'll put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Well, we see in the first place the strange parenthesis. The 69th seven finished with the Jews, the Jewish people, rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the ruler, and giving him a cross instead of a crown. This was a turning point in their history. The gospel writers tell us that they rejected Christ and God rejected them. And so there began a long interval, the strange parenthesis I've called it, and it covers over 2,000 year period during which God stopped the divine clock for Israel and began gathering a Gentile bride, a church out of the nations. But why the gap? Why the parenthesis? between the 69th and the 70th seven. The reason is that the 70th seven, the last seven years, concerns God's dealing with Israel, and the church age, as far as we can see, is not mentioned during that 70th seven. The church age and the the coming of the Spirit of God to work among God's people is actually nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. The prophets couldn't see it. It was a a mystery that was hidden to them right throughout the Old Testament ages. In fact, Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And this is what he says to the Ephesian church. By reading this, you're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to the people in other generations. Notice that there. It wasn't made known to the people of other generations. In other words, to the prophets and those who came before. And it wasn't made known to them as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this is right here is the mystery that Paul's talking about. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The apostle Peter later states in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12, this is what Peter says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicated when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Isn't that interesting? That, that 
It says there that the prophets weren't serving themselves, but they were serving you. In other words, they weren't writing to the people of their own generation. They were actually writing to people of a future generation. That was the people of of, of the Ephesian church and right down through history to you and I. It's also, I find, fascinating that angels longed to catch a glimpse of these things. You see, the Old Testament prophets saw these major events in the Old Testament as mountain peaks. And I know this sounds quite cliche to many people, but it's actually a good analogy because when, you, when you're hiking through the mountains, you can see mountains, you can see one mountain, and, and then you'll see another mountain up behind it, and, and you can't see any valley in between. That's how it was for the, the Old Testament prophets. They saw Mount Calvary. They saw the mountain of the kingdom of Christ. They saw these two mountains, but they never saw the valley in between. And the valley in between, of course, we know is the church age. A good example of this is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is what Isaiah writes. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, the first part of that verse is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in his first coming. We, we share that verse with each other in Christmas cards or on the internet every Christmas. But the government didn't sit upon his shoulders. In fact, the government of that day nailed him to a cross. So how can we say the government sat upon his shoulders? Now we know, ultimately, that God is in sovereign control of all the affairs of man. Nothing happens in this world without God knowing it and allowing it. But there's a massive valley between the first part of the verse and the second part. The second part hasn't taken place yet, and I believe it's still to come in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another example that we find in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says this, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteousness and having salvation is he, humble and mounted upon a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So when did that happen? When did the Lord Jesus ride into Jerusalem and uh, it was on his triumphal entry just before he was crucified and the people waved palm branches and they sang, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. It was only a few days later those same people were crying out, Crucify him, crucify him and calling for him to be nailed to a cross. But then we see in verse 10, in verse 10 it says this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's verse 10. Friends, that didn't happen when Jesus was on earth in his first coming. And that's still in a future time, the prophets saw them as one. They saw, he saw the first coming and the second coming as one. When Israel rejected Christ, the time clock stopped. 
for Israel, and, and God began his plan for the church age. Now, there's a, a writer by the name of Meyer Perlman. He wrote a book, Israel Speaks Today, and in it he tells the story of Dr. Luis Talbot, uh, the founder of Talbot Seminary in the United States. Now, Dr. Talbot was on a train one day. He was actually traveling to visit his fiancée, and the train was on time. It was on time to the very minute, but suddenly the train came to a stop. So Dr. Talbot asked the, the, the conductor, he said, what happened? Why has the train stopped? And the conductor said, well, we're on a sidetrack. And, and the express train is coming in, so we've got to let the express train go through. Dr. Talbot said that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. They were on the main line. They were on the main track, but they rejected the Messiah. So God placed them on a sidetrack, on a sideline as a nation. And the Gospel Express, which we know is the church, is now going through. He calls out individuals. God calls out individuals from among the Jews and from among the Gentile nations to be part of the, this, this bride. But the nation of Israel as a whole has been sidelined. But then Gabriel gave Daniel some information that must have been very disturbing, to say the least. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, it says... The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Isn't that interesting? Just a few verses earlier, we're told that the people were going to, the, the Israelites were going to be going back and rebuilding the city and the sanctuary. But now Gabriel tells Daniel that the people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now I want you to notice something here. It's very important. Notice it says the people of the coming ruler. It doesn't say that the ruler will come and the people will follow him and they will destroy the sanctuary and destroy the city of Jerusalem. It talks about the people of the coming ruler. Now, friends, I do not believe for a moment that this, this uh, what happened in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem, I do not believe that that was the 70th seven. I believe it's still within the 69 sevens. In fact, it's the beginning of the strange parenthesis, as we call it, this parenthesis where, where Israel is placed on a sidetrack and where God begins his work with a Gentile bride. In AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed almost 40 years after the death of Christ. The entire civilization of Jews ceased to exist as a nation. And the desolation, that's a state of complete emptiness, a state of complete destruction, continued with the nation right up until 1948 when Israel became a nation again. As the church, we are now on that express line and Israel is on the sideline until the church train has gone through. And, and friends, I do not believe for a moment that Israel has been done away with and somehow we have replaced Israel. I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that is because of Romans chapter 9 through 11. It's actually a great passage to study and I implore you to go and study it. But in, in Romans chapter 9 through 11, it tells us that God still has a future program for Israel. 
In fact, in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, in Romans 11, 25, this is what it says. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. A partial hardening, notice that. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And right now, Gentiles are becoming believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming part of that church, part of the bride of Christ. And so are Israelites. Israelites all over the world are receiving the Lord Jesus Christ the same way that Gentiles do. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for the church. And I believe, if I've got this right, I believe that uh, although we don't know the time exactly, but we know he's going to return for his church and we're going to be caught up, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 17, caught up to be with him. And in John chapter 14, we discover there that he's going to take us to be with himself, that where he is there, we may be also. In my father's house, I have many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I believe that the Lord Jesus is going to come back for his bride. And then the time clock will start again because the emphasis then will be placed back on Israel. And I believe that the seven year period, the 70th seven will be the start of the tribulation period and it'll be ushered in. Now, I'm guessing that this was completely overwhelming for, for Daniel. He had been praying about the end and the, of, the, of the captivity in Babylon for the Israelites, and he was praying about the possibility of going back and, and, and wanting to rebuild the city and the temple. But instead, he was given a vision right down through history to this present day. That's the strange parenthesis. Now we see in the second place the satanic, the satanic potentate, the satanic potentate. In verse 27, Gabriel gave Daniel a small window, a glance into the last seven years, the final seven, seven, the 70th seven. This is what it says in verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one seven, but in the middle of the seven, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ mentions the abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. This is what the Lord Jesus said. So when you see... The abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Now, friends, the Lord Jesus wasn't referring to Antiochus Epiphanes there from 164 BC. A lot of people sort of point back to Antiochus Epiphanes because he's mentioned in the in the prophet uh, in the uh, Daniel the prophet's prophecy. But the Lord Jesus wasn't looking back. You'll see from the, the scripture there in Matthew 24, verse 15, the Lord Jesus was looking forward. When you see the abomination of desolation, that's future tense, not past tense. Now the he of verse 27, 
The he of verse 27 is not the anointed one, is not the ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ of verse 25. The he of verse 27 is the coming ruler, the people of the coming ruler, that coming ruler. That's who he's talking about in verse 27. If you read the book of Daniel, if you've read it, uh, you'll have seen this ruler before. He's known to us as the little horn of Daniel chapter 7. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. John refers to him as the beast who comes up out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13. But of course he's best known to us as Antichrist and we see that in 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. Now many people will point out that John wasn't speaking about one Antichrist. Well, I'd like to disagree with you a little on that particular point. John tells us there would be many Antichrists who come into the world, but none will have the brilliance, none will have the demonic power of this man. And here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it refers to the final world ruler who is energized by Satan, who will, will seek to oppose and seek to replace the true Christ. Now, we don't know who this beast will be. We suspect that he rises out of a revived Roman Empire. His feet, remember that. Remember the, 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 the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2? We spoke about this last time, this great statue that had a head of gold. The gold head represented the Babylonian captivity and then the, the, the Babylonian Empire, I should say. Then there was the, the chest of silver and arms of silver and that represented the Medo-Persian Empire. Then there was the torso and thighs of bronze, which represented the, the Greek Empire. We're told that in the prophecy. And then the legs of iron. Well, we're not told who that refers to, but of course we know from history that it refers to the Roman Empire. And then there were feet that were made of both iron and potter's clay. And so we assume here that that's referring to a revived, a revived Roman Empire. But we can't be sure what that will look like today. It's very possible, and, and I believe that there is quite strong biblical evidence for this to support that the, the beast, this, this man of lawlessness, this the he, this ruler who is to come, the ruler of the people, may be a beast that comes from the Middle East. I don't know if you're familiar with Joel Richardson's writings. He wrote a book called Mideast Beast, and he, in that book gives us very good scriptural support for an Islamic antichrist. You've got to remember that the Roman Empire at one point had two capital cities. One was in Rome, of course that was the capital of the Western Empire from, uh, from 286 AD through to 476 AD. But there was also another capital in Constantinople, of course that's the city we now know as Istanbul. That was the, the Eastern Empire of the Roman Empire during the Byzantine time. And that uh, actually, it, when the Germans conquered Rome, they just shifted the capital from Rome to, to Constantinople. And that lasted from 330 AD right through until 1453 when the Ottoman Turks came and destroyed the city and, and uh, conquered the city. One of the first acts that this particular leader will make 
One of his first acts of leadership will be to make a treaty, a covenant with the Jewish people for a seven-year period. That's what it says in verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with many for one seven. Now, the Jews have have long wanted to rebuild their temple and to start the temple sacrifices, even though that would be an absolute abomination to God. The Lord Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice for sin. There doesn't need to be another sacrifice. They don't need to sacrifice bulls and, and goats and sheep and, and shed their blood for to cover their sins because the Lord Jesus Christ has been the ultimate sacrifice for sin. But this Man, this leader, this ruler, will make a treaty with the Jews and it'll be a seven-year treaty and, and, and possibly he'll give them some form of protection from all the, 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 the warring nations around them that want to wipe them off the face of the earth. But in Isaiah chapter 28, God tells us exactly what he thinks of this treaty. God calls this treaty with the Antichrist in Isaiah 28 verses 15 through 18. He calls it a covenant with death and an agreement with Sheol. That's what God thinks of it. But we're told in Daniel's prophecy chapter 9 that during this seven year period, he makes a covenant with, for the, with the Jews for seven years. But for some reason, about right in the middle at a three and a half year mark, Right in the middle of the seven-year agreement, something happens. For some unknown reason, the Antichrist breaks the covenant with Israel. But from other passages, we discover a very frightening truth that may give us a, a bit of a clue here. According to Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, the Antichrist will be slain and brought back to life. In the book of Revelation, the Antichrist has two comings. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that the Antichrist, who is the, the man of Satan, has two comings? The, 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 the devil always does that. He counterfeits the real thing. He counterfeits what Christ has done. You see, when the, when the Antichrist came and, and he first appears, he, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, he's the beast who comes up out of the sea. He's an extraordinarily gifted man, a demon-possessed man, but he's still a man. But the Antichrist has a second coming. He's slain, according to Revelation 17, verse 8. He's slain and he's raised from the dead. And from that point, he's known as the beast that was and is not and is about to rise out of the bottomless pit and go to destruction. This satanically possessed beast will rise up out of the bottomless pit. Can you imagine the horror of that? And with all its satanic hate and evil and vileness, and he'll proclaim to be God. Now, the context of this prophecy of Antichrist breaking the covenant at the three and a half year mark, incidentally, is when the Antichrist seizes the temple, as Paul informs us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, this is what he says. He, that is the Antichrist, the beast, 
He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship so that he sits in God's temple and proclaiming that he himself is God. The abomination of desolation in verse 27 is probably an idol or an image or or it's just a, a, a statue of some kind of the beast. But the image can evidently talk. According to Revelation, we're told that it can talk. I don't know how that works. But it may be that, that the Antichrist Christ places this image in the temple and everyone will be commanded to worship it. It's called the abomination because the temple will be defiled as a place of worship. And it causes the temple to be desolate because as far as the Jews are concerned, they would never worship there again. The last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation from the breaking of the treaty with Israel until the end of the tribulation period will be absolutely bathed in blood. The Lord Jesus prophesied just before he was crucified. He prophesied in, about this great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22. And this is what it says. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on his housetop not go down and take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, also for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on, the, on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The Great Tribulation is going to be the most horrific, horrendous, horrible time in all of human history the world has ever seen as God pours out his wrath on sinful mankind. But at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation, the Lord Jesus returns with all his saints and destroys the beast and the false prophet, and the Lord Jesus destroys all those who worship the beast and took his mark. And then the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus begins for a thousand years on the throne of David. And friends, that is a subject for another day. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www hcbc.nz Join us again next week at Central Speaks.